Fantastic. Well, if you don't know, this is Emmanuel and Basola. And uh, I have to say, uh, we met with Emmanuel and Basola this week to you know, just talk through some of their story and what might be good to sh- share. And it's fair to say, kind of midway through this, I was thinking... Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know, whether I really need to preach. I think, uh, you know, it's just some uh, really kind of rich stuff. So um, maybe if we just start by saying kind of who you are and what you're doing here in Newcastle, really, and then we'll kind of go back and talk a bit more about some of your journey. Okay. Um, Busola, married to Manuel, obviously. <laughs> we have three children. Two are here. One is in Canada. I came into Newcastle in 2009 to do a PhD in literacy studies, which, to the glory of God, I recently completed. I am Emmanuel, as uh, Busola has said. She's, she's my wife. <laughs> so, uh, well, in 2009, when they came over to uh, Busola and um, Idara came over to Newcastle. We had uh, planned that maybe by the fourth year, that will be uh, that was supposed to be 2012, that I'll join them. Um, well, that didn't materialize. In 2013, that was last year, I took an early retirement from work where I was working as an HR manager and joined them here to stay. Brilliant. Um, and I think um, one of the uh, sort of great things about this series is kind of finding out a bit about people's journey because I think, you know, when, when you sort of meet um, Christians who maybe, you know, mature and in leadership and are kind of doing great things, you sort of make this assumption that, oh, well, you must have been just born like this. Um, but can you tell us a bit about kind of how you became a Christian, um, kind of what your upbringing was like and um, maybe some of the sort of changes that you had to make to, when you became a Christian? Okay, I was born into a Christian family. My parents are Catholics. So I was baptized as an infant, went to church and prayed at home morning and evening. I attended Sunday schools. I loved it. I sang in choirs. And, but I didn't really... I know what it meant to have a personal relationship with God. So I tried to be good and live by what my parents taught me. I was careful to honor them. And I also wanted to keep the Ten Commandments, which was what I thought would help me to maintain a good relationship with God. But as you would know, it was very difficult to keep the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and so I found, well, one, I always called the name of God in vain, and we thought it was a joke, but I realized any time I went for confession, if you are a Catholic, you know what I mean. Every week we went for confession. So I'd always confess that I called God's name in vain because by then I knew it was a sin and I didn't want to do it, but I confessed that every week. And also I told lies regularly, and uh, that was more to cover up who I was, I tried to present a different personality to my friends. You see, I loved to live the way my parents brought me up, and I did that. But at the same time, I thought what my friends did was cool, and 
somehow wished I could do them, but knew I wasn't meant to do them. So I didn't do them, but I told lies to them that I had adventures which I didn't have. And that was, <laughs> that was the big thing for me. So every time I went to see the priest, I would say I told lies because I knew it was, it was lies. I was so, so you had this kind of religious upbringing and you sort of knew all the things that you should be doing, but you kind of kept on doing things that you didn't really want to do. Is that, that... Yeah, I kept lying and I... So I, and that continued until uh, when I just was about to get into the uni, somebody uh, preached to me and said I needed to be born again. I was, well, I've been a good girl. And as he spoke, he said something. He didn't know me from anywhere. He said, and uh, there's no small sin. Like the Bible says, all liars would have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. <laughs> wow. I'd known about heaven and hell, and I definitely didn't want to go to hell. And I said, Lord, I need help here because I lied. It was a way of life. So I gave my life to Christ. I prayed to receive Christ. If that would stop me from lying, oh, then why not? So I prayed and I gave my life to Christ. And, well, I didn't stop lying immediately, but I knew that was the reason I gave my life to Christ. And I kept saying to the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I lied again today. But it reduced Gradually, And then I came on a scripture that says, I speak the truth in Christ, I lie not. That was Paul. And I said, Lord, somebody said this. Then that means it's possible for me to speak the truth at all times. And I prayed and kept working at it. And I stopped lying because I kept reading the word of God. I loved reading the word of God. So though I came to Christ, I'd come to Christ because I didn't want to go to hell. As I studied the word of God more, I began to love the God of the Bible. And I wanted to live my life truly to please him. And that helped me a lot. I stopped lying and I stopped lying and I hated lying. And I can now say I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not. So what your kind of church going and your religious upbringing wasn't able to do when you became a Christian when you started to have a relationship with God, suddenly you were, you were able to do the right thing. Yes, I was because I loved God Brilliant. and I didn't want to do anything that displeased him because yeah. I saw that sinners were God's enemies. I said, how could I say I love this God and continue sinning? And this is a sin. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Manuel, what about yourself? Okay. Uh, briefly, like Busola, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, well, I normally like to say, like uh, Nicky Cruz, he says, to the extent that my father was a, a clergyman, uh, he was a pastor for many years and died preaching the gospel. Uh, but then we grew up in, in that home. We were taught the scripture every day. But one thing I found out was that I lacked the power to do what the word said. And um, so, well... Knew a lot about the scripture, but then in school, I joined the scripture union uh, in secondary school. And they kept teaching us the scriptures. Uh, well, coming from a Christian home, it was the natural thing to do. And right there, I was there, and I was into the leadership of the scripture union right in school. But that didn't help me. I, I found that I was struggling with some saints. Struggling to really follow what the scripture says. Um, and especially, uh, one thing... I. I found that was really detestable to me was stealing my parents' money 
uh, because my father was a little bit uh, loose in keeping cash around the house. And so I, I could pick the money and buy things and at times even buy things at home. So this was a major issue in my life. And then I had some colleagues who came back to school and said, wow, they are born again. And they started carrying Bibles around. Uh, that challenged me. Oh, Lord, you can change lives. So, but this on and on for a number of years, and then I was still in the fellowship. I couldn't change, uh, I couldn't change any bit. But one day, as a, a preacher man preached in one of the fellowships after secondary school, and I, I said, he said, he challenged people that Jesus can change life. You can become a new person in Christ. I couldn't like, stand up there to, uh, to, uh, to the altar call, so I just, because I was, I was known to be a leader, even in the fellowship right there. So I went home that night. I cried on my bed for so long. I said, Lord, you can change lives. I can remember my colleague said so. That preacher man said so. I, I can't see it. I can't change. I can't do anything. Please help me. Change me if you can change life. I cried on my bed. I woke up later to find myself on my knees. But then I, I just stood up and laid back on my bed. And by the morning, I found this joy. It was just strange. This joy and peace in me I, that my uh, prayers have been answered. And I looked at my life through the, the days following. I found out the urge to steal my parents' money, to go buy things. Well, I, was, I lost that urge. And so I told my dad what I was doing, what I used to do. He was very surprised, but he was happy that I came to tell him that. And that was the beginning of the journey with Christ. And on and on, God has been helping me. Praise the Lord. That's brilliant. And then at university, eventually you two met. And um, can you tell us briefly about how you kind of got together? Well, <laughs> so that's my job. <laughs> well, Emmanuel was in his uh, final year when I was in 100 level. So it was that one of those big brothers who uh, led the Bible study and were in the ESCO of the school. And um, in Nigeria, where we both come from, when you graduate from uni, you go on what we call national service for a year. So he went away for his national service. And by the time he returned... I was in my 400 level and um, used to go to, we had some mutual friends, but we weren't friends at all, but we had some friends that we uh, connected to both of us. So we met in one of the friends' homes a bit regularly. And um, on one of those occasions, I was going to church and I stopped over at the friend's home and was like, mm, I would like to have a word with you. When would you be available? And I said, okay, uh, I'll be passing this way again next week so we can meet. And then the day came and we met indeed. And he just said to me, I love you. <laughs> and I'd like to share the rest of my life with you. <laughs> Then I was, well, I, I didn't really know what to say, so, well, he was a big brother, I wouldn't have thought, um, I wouldn't have thought 
such a person would speak to me, if you know what it means. And, you know, in our culture, there's a lot of, you know, senior, you know, respect for seniors and so on. So I, I just looked at him and said, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he said yes. So I said, okay, I'll go and pray about it and I will let you know. So I went away and prayed about it and in about a week's time, yeah, in a week's time, I, I prayed about it and I felt the Lord telling me, yeah, this is the way. I'd been speaking to the Lord about several things, but then I'd been a Christian for four years, so I knew how the Lord spoke to me. I said, but Lord, there had been others that I even thought I had some chemistry for. I don't feel anything for this person. And the Lord said, that's, you've been asking me for who your husband would be and you want somebody who loves me passionately? That was what I told God. I just want somebody who loves you passionately. He said, yeah, I've given you the person. I said, okay, Lord, that's great. Yeah. I trust you. I know everything would fall in place. So I went along and told him, yes, <laughs> we can. <laughs> and of course, every other thing followed. All the chemistry and biology and everything followed. So here we are. <laughs> And I remember you saying, kind of, at the, the sort of start of your married life, that you almost, you, was it kind of three things that you said to, to God that you wanted about your sort of family, about your life? Is that right? Uh, I think we. <laughs> well, I'm the Peter of the family, as you can see. Yeah. So, <laughs> the one who does most of the talking. So, out, out. Okay, we told the Lord we wanted three things for our marriage. One, we wanted a marriage, we wanted a marriage that would be an example to the believers and to the world around us. Two, we wanted to raise godly children who would also be an example to their generation and also to believers, especially to believers. And third, as Martin said last week, he said something selfish. We told the Lord we wanted a, an unending honeymoon. Those were the three things we asked. Everlasting honeymoon. Yeah, yeah. perpetual honeymoon. <laughs> perpetual honeymoon, brilliant. That's great. And so, you know, I think probably for the sake of time, we need to kind of fast forward through, you know, you had three children and work and God provided for you in amazing ways and, you know, involved in church leadership and set up a literacy project and all these fantastic things. If we kind of fast forward to the present, what a... What are some of the things that you, God's kind of put on your heart for now or some of the things that you feel um, God's calling you to at this time? Okay, I, I'll, I'll take this now. I won't push it to her, all right? <laughs> yeah, um, well, one of the key things from our relationship uh, as Christians all, all the, along in the leadership uh, roles we've played in church, we found out the need to encourage families, couples, to live closely together. We've had a good marriage. We've had a happy marriage. And at times we see people who are struggling in their, in their relationships. And so we find this encouragement to... We have this encouragement uh, to talk to people, couples, encourage them to live happily together. And so we've done that a number of times. Uh, we've had opportunity to counsel quite a number of uh, married people. 
And we've seen that happen successfully. People that were struggling with their marriages come alive and live happy lives. And these days, we've done that on a one-on-one basis, but we find God telling us we'll do that at corporate and global level. And so that's what we're looking forward to. Well, we've started doing some of it, talking to groups uh, about um, how to raise godly homes, and we trust God to help us to do that more and more. Apart from that, there's also the uh, other angle of the literacy, seeing a need in our community. There was a need in our community where we, the last place I worked in was an, uh, an island far out of um, uh, the town, and I think about two hours out of town if you come on a local boat. And um, there we saw children struggling to read and write. And that's actually what prompted Busola's uh, PhD. So we, we have now developed, also the Lord has put on our minds to ensure that children in Nigeria and Africa as a whole learn how to read and write. People from poor homes. So we are committed to doing that. And apart from that, we also support quite a number of missionaries, friends, and missionary groups in Africa, and some, some of our friends who are in Europe that are also missionaries, we do support them. These are the things God lays on our hearts, which we are doing currently. Fantastic, great. And then, um, just finally, that, that sort of sense of a call to invest in marriages and invest in families. Obviously, you know, you've got three children who are all, you know, walking with the Lord. Um, are there kind of, you know, for those of us who've got young families, I suppose, are there any kind of things that you can say to encouragers or maybe any sort of choices that you can recognize? That here are some things that we've had to do or some difficult decisions along the way that have helped with that. Well, we spent much time with our children as much time as we could afford. We prayed with them deliberately, prayed with them morning and evening. We studied the word of God together and we encouraged them to practice what they learned from us and from church. Of course, we went to church with them and also encouraged them to participate actively in church, to be workers, as we say in Nigeria, in assemblies where we found ourselves. So we encouraged them to work for the Lord and made them know that whatever they see of us is because of our work with God and also made it clear to them that we would very much want them to serve the Lord and love the Lord as we have done and that to us that is how we see honor so that would love them to honor us even as we have honored our parents so we like carried them along in the things we did and we prayed We constantly prayed for them, and we still do. And so we're happy to see them walking the ways of the Lord. And back home in Nigeria, people used to say things to us like, you have teenagers, your teenagers are so calm, they are so peaceful, and they obey you. And they give us testimonies about how well-behaved they are wherever they find themselves. They tell us, oh, your teenagers are these, your children are that. So we... We're very happy, and even when we started the charity, the literacy charity work, we carried them along. The one in Canada, the first one, and 
a common who's here with us, worked actively with me and the charity after the national service. Each of them put in about a year, earning very, very little pay, but they were very happy to do it. And I would also say that as we were committed to doing uh, charitable things, they also do like Ecom started uh, supporting poor children from her meager salary, even without our knowledge and contributing to paying school fees for children, even at her age then. And we were pleased to chance upon such uh, information because she didn't tell us, of course. And Idara has, I mean, for more than a year now, she leaves us at home and says, well, I'm going, meet me in church. And that's the way, when, we were, when they were growing up, we used to like, drag them. Uh, okay, it's half past six, we must be in church now. And I remember one of them, one of them saying, ah, Mommy, do you not hold the key to the church? I said, will you keep quiet? Come on, get ready, let's go. <laughs> so when we needed to be in church at 6.30 a.m., yeah, that's Nigeria for you. You know, as a worker, you needed to be in church at 6.30 a.m. or at 7 a.m. Say, well, get ready. We pulled all of them along at the same time. We didn't say, oh, come along and meet us. No, even though they didn't need to be there at 6.30 or at 7, we'd all go together, and then they'll stay somewhere, maybe have their breakfast, chat or something, but we made sure that we went along with them every time and in every way we felt led by God. And we're also looking forward to, and we had told them, that we're also looking forward to them ministering with us to couples and to families. Fantastic. It's great to, uh, you know, obviously this series is called Change Lives, and it's great to hear about, you know, how the impact that God's had on your lives and your kind of journey and the adventure with him, but also just about how that impacts on others, on your children, on those around you and those you minister to. So it's a real privilege having you in our church and having your family and knowing you. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. And I'm sure, you know, people will be coming to <laughs> talk to you some more after the meeting. So thank you very much, Manuel Basari. Thank you. Brilliant. Great. Well, uh, like I said, as well as uh, in this series about changed lives, hearing about people from our church family whose lives have been changed by God, I'd like to look at the account from the Bible about somebody who encountered Jesus when he was kind of physically on the earth and his life was changed. And so uh, I want to do that this morning as well. Let me first ask you a question. What would change your life? Or Maybe if you went out onto Northumberland Street this afternoon and spoke to people saying, well, what would change your life? I wonder what kind of answers you might get. I kind of suspect people say, oh, well, if I won the lottery, that would change my life. Or maybe if I didn't have this health condition, that would change my life. Or if I'd been in, born in different circumstances or, you know, if I'd been Richard Branson's son or daughter or something, that would have changed my life. Um, but I want to read about uh, the account of a woman whose life wasn't changed by any of these things, wasn't changed by money or health or opportunity. Her life was changed as she was set free from guilt. So we're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 7 and verses 36 to 50, and hopefully the words should appear on the screen. It says this, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's just pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are in the business of changing lives. Lord, that you change them from bad to good, that you change them from good to better, and you go on changing our lives. And we want to invite you this morning, Lord, to speak to us, to minister to us, to bring conviction to our hearts, to bring faith to our spirits. And we just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would blow through this place this morning, that you would come and you would touch each and every one of us by your Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So there's a, this kind of narrative describes Jesus eating at a dinner. And uh, there is a, a sinful woman present. And it's not that she's necessarily you know, one of the invited guests. It was a fairly uh, common thing. If there was a visiting speaker, a kind of grand figure coming to a dinner, that it was a very open public occasion. But normally, a woman like this would be expected to keep her distance, to stand in the crowd and watch. The scandalous thing, really, is that she didn't do that. And she comes to Jesus, and she anoints his feet with her tears and with perfume. And she unwraps her hair and wipes uh, his feet with her hair. And again, even just unwrapping her hair is, you know, a scandalous thing in that culture. And the way she kisses his feet expresses an intimacy that wasn't expressed in public. And so we then read about this Pharisee who comes to the wrong conclusions. Here's a sinful woman. If Jesus were a prophet, he would know that this is a sinful woman, and therefore he would, you know, shoo her away. Jesus should tell her to, you know, stop this. And Jesus points out it's not that he's not a prophet. It's just that he thinks differently. He's come to a different conclusion. And he uses this um, illustration of uh, forgiving debt to express something about God's forgiveness and our response. And this woman, you know, must have been aware of the offense that she was causing by her actions, but there was something for her that was stronger than, 
you know, the, the sort of public view of her. And that, Jesus says, is her love. And he affirms her by saying her sins are forgiven. So that's the passage. And really, I want to kind of talk about one element of that, one issue, which was the thing that this woman needed changing for her. And it's about guilt. It's about guilt. And I, I did uh, look in the dictionary to get a definition of guilt. And it said, guilt is, well, there's two things, really. One is the fact of having committed a specified offense. You know, you are guilty if you've done something wrong. But the other element is also the feeling or awareness of having done something wrong. It's being aware that, you know, I've, I've kind of I've messed up here. This sort of uh, felt awareness of it. So you can be guilty whether you're aware of it or not. You know, you might not have seen the speed camera van on Barrack Road this morning, but it was there. Um, but there's also this sense of guilt of, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware, I'm weighed down by the fact that I've done something wrong. And it's a strange thing, but um, sometimes you hear, don't you, of people who've done something wrong and they get found out and that their sort of principal reaction isn't, um, anger or frustration, but relief. It's just like, oh, thank goodness that this is out in the open now because, you know, this is being buried and it's almost like uh, this ticking time bomb. And finally, you know, it's all out in the open. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the consequences, but at least I'm not kind of just waiting for that knock at the door anymore. So here is a woman who... You know, everybody clearly knows she's a sinner. She's a sinful woman. And, you know, there is a suggestion that she was, you know, an immoral woman, a prostitute. But we need to be clear that this woman was guilty and had a sense of guilt, not because she was doing something that was illegal and not because she was doing something that was culturally inappropriate, but because she was doing something that God said was wrong. That's the guilt we're talking about. So in some places in the world... It's, uh, you know, socially unacceptable to be a Christian. In some places in the world, it is an offense to preach the gospel. But that's not sinful. You know, it might be against the law, but it's not sinful. What is sin is something that is against what God says is right and true and just. And similarly, forgiveness comes from God. To be forgiven our sin needs to be God who forgives us. So this woman had this sense of guilt, and guilt does terrible things to you. And uh, I've kind of summed it up on the, the screen with four words. It brings a sense of despair or anguish. So uh, David in Psalm 40 verse 12 says, Evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David was aware of his iniquities and he just felt this sense of despair about his wrongdoing. It also brings a sense of disgrace or shame. In Ezra chapter 9 and verse 6, Ezra prays, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. It brings a sense of disgrace and shame. You know, I think about Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned and eaten their fruit and then God comes along and they try to hide from God, which is a bit of a fruitless task. But, you know, that sense of shame that we've done wrong and God knows it. It also brings a sense of dread or fear. Isaiah, when he was confronted 
um, by God in Isaiah 6, verse 5. He says, woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. You know, this sense of fear because of the awareness of our wrongdoing. And it also brings depression and a sense of unworthiness. When um, Simon Peter encountered Jesus, it says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You get this sense of the oppressiveness of guilt. When we've done something wrong and we know we've done it, then guilt comes against us. And so we've got to come up with a response. We've got to come up with a way of dealing with this because, you know, all of these things, you can't live in despair and disgrace and dread and depression for your life because, you know, it just squashes you. And I want to suggest um, four ways in which people uh, sometimes try to cope with guilt. And uh, uh, they also all begin with uh, D, just, you know, to keep Clive happy. The first is uh, that sometimes people determine they determine, I'm never going to do that again. You know, and I've done something wrong. Then they kind of think, right, I've got to make up for this. I was really um, kind of uh, interested in what kind of Martin Dunkley was saying last week about, you know, that man who'd lost his hand. And I could think of so many people in those cir- circumstances who they, they would respond, I'm never going to let that happen. Again. Not that you want it to happen again, but to, to become almost driven with the pu- pursuit of it. So, you know, like um, maybe sort of parents, if something's happened to one of their children, right, I'm never going to let my children out of the house again, you know, become really intense. Or people who've kind of relationships have broken down and maybe they feel a sense of, of guilt or shame because of, um, of a divorce or something like that. I'm never going to get in that situation again. I'm never going to, um, you know, let that happen to me again. So one of our responses to guilt can be de- to determine, right, I'm never going to do that again. Another thing is about distraction or to try and kind of deafen. So we occupy ourselves with other things, you know, maybe make ourselves busy with all sorts of activities so I don't have to think about what I've done. You know, I never want to be on my own and left to my own thoughts. I'm always going to surround myself with people so I can kind of drown out the noise of this, this guilt, really. Um, so distracting or trying to deafen our awareness of it with other things. The third thing is about disguising our guilt. And uh, really what by me, I mean by that is about kind of saying, well, this is, this is a good thing. So saying, well, I'm, an, I'm a kind of, you know, this, here's this woman who's an immoral woman. Well, this is, you know, I'm free. This is how I like to live. This is how everyone is. Or trying to kind of pretend this is a good thing, this life I'm living, to dress sin up as good, to try and cover it up. And I guess it's an approach some Uh, secular counselors or psychotherapists would take you know if you feel guilty about this thing that you're doing well you need to reprogram yourself so you don't see it as wrong and whereas actually as Christians we say yeah you need you feel guilty because this is wrong and you need to repent so we could try and disguise things and then the fourth thing is about defeat is just giving up and becoming a shadow of ourselves to engage disengage with people because of that unworthiness and that despair and that disgrace that we feel and all of these are ways of adapting to the problem of guilt. And I'm, uh, I have to admit, I'm kind of quite bad at this or quite good at it, depending on how you uh, look. So we've got um, some shelves in our living room, which um, were bought by, from a uh, popular Swedish purveyor of MDF. Um, and uh, there seems to be a slight uh, design flaw in that the shelves aren't actually as wide as the frame in which they go. And so, you know... You might think, well, I'll, I'll kind of 
get a bit of wood and a drill and I'll kind of come up with some ways so that they fix in place. I just put books on that shelf very, very carefully so the shelves don't fall down. Um, we, uh, we once had a car where the, the back door of the, the car um, didn't work properly. So it would open, but it just wouldn't shut again. And so our response was that, you know, you might think, oh, well, you take it to a garage, get a new door, get it fixed. Our response was not to open that door. And so when there were people in the back of the car, we stopped, you know, almost kind of, you see people reaching, don't open the door. Um, and if the door was opened, it was kind of a bit like a Rubik's car, really, in that there was a sequence of all the other doors that you could open and shut, which would enable this door. So, you know, we can all get used to just adapting to problems. But I want to suggest when we become aware that we've done something wrong against God, when we become aware of our guilt, our response is not to, you know, become really driven or to, you know, just embrace, the, live for the present and not for the past and kind of fill our lives with noise or try to pretend that this is a good thing, this is the way I am, but to deal with it, to deal with our sin and to deal with our guilt. I mean, think about this woman that we read about. You know, she wasn't kind of thinking, oh, I've lived a terrible life. I'm going to become a nun and hide away in a monastery. She wasn't busying herself with other activity to, to deafen the guilt. She wasn't proud of the life that she was living. And she wasn't withdrawing from public. But she was free because she had encountered Jesus. And she had come to the realization that God could totally forgive her for the life that she had lived, that he could wipe away the shame, that he could cleanse her completely of the guilt. And so she was liberated. She had her life changed. And like her, we can be free from guilt. Like her, we can be free not to serve our past, but to serve God. We can get to the root of our issues and deal with problems. And Jesus' choice of illustration where he talks about debt and how much debt has been forgiven, about you know, somebody whose debt was um, two months' wages not being as grateful as somebody whose debt was a year and a half's worth of wages. But, and Jesus makes it clear, the more that we can appreciate that it, the forgiveness that is on offer through God, the more that we can uh, respond in love. The more we can appreciate how much God forgives us the more that we can love him and respond to him and get released from guilt. Jesus is able to forgive all our sin just as he forgave this woman. And, uh, you know, there was a, a scandal as well in what Jesus said. The fact that Jesus said, you know, I forgive you. you know, that's it. If, if sin is sin against God, only God can forgive sin. So Jesus here was saying, you know, I have the power to forgive sin. So it's like, you know, if I had got an enormous custard pie and came over and splat it in Antonia's face there, you know, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't, you know, splat a pregnant woman with a custard pie. I wouldn't have any qualms about it if she wasn't pregnant, but, you know. If I, if I did that and, uh, and then uh, Roxana said, it's all right, Steve, I forgive you. Um, then, you know, Tone could justifiably be sitting there thinking, well, it's fine for Roxana to forgive because she's not covered in custard pie, is she? You know, the one who is offended is the one who forgives. You know, that's how it works, isn't it? For Jesus to say, I forgive you, was him acknowledging, I am God. I have the power to forgive sin. 
Jesus can forgive sins because he is God. And when our guilt and our sin is forgiven, we have clean consciences. We have peace with God. We have access into God's presence. We have joy and hope. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, we've been forgiven and declared right in God's sight, we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also we have also obtained access by faith into this grace, God's kindness, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We know we have a different future. Release from guilt changes lives. It changed this woman's life and it can change each and every one of our lives. So we're going to pray. Before we pray, I'd like uh, Karis and Andrew Barry, if he's here, to come and um, share with Karis. Can you just come and sort of share that, um, what you shared in the prayer meeting? I, I was telling Ruth this this morning as we drove down the road at 6.15 towards um, Bladen to a car boot sale. But that's, I also used to work in Bladen. Um, and I was telling her about how I made a similar early morning car trip a few days before that. And um, I, hadn't, I hadn't been in a car by myself early in the morning since I, stopped te- since I finished teacher training. Um, uh, and... As part of teacher training, I was sort of tra- I was training on the job, so I get up really early and I'd set out in the car by myself, um, and I'd be heading off to the school that I was working at. And it was a very hard year for all sorts of reasons. Um, and and I, I remember, and as I got in the car a few mornings ago by myself, early set off, the same feelings just washed over me of panic, of dread, of um, fear, of despair. <laughs> Um, because I was in such an unhappy place in life. Um, I wasn't happy in the teacher training. And simultaneously, I was dealing myself with, uh, also dealing with unpacking the distraction techniques that I put in my own life to hide the guilt that I felt about my past. And I'd gotten myself into all sorts of messes, and me and Ben were working through some of those, and I was in um, counselling for eating distress as well. And uh, on top of all this fear of um, teaching, which was a really difficult time, and all those feelings came flooding over me. And I was just driving to Hutchinson's. It was about four days ago. I was just going up to Hutchies to get some more bananas. But because I was in the car by myself, because sort of back in that pattern, I was just overwhelmed by panic and dread and fear and um, guilt and shame again. And I, it was so so weird. I, and I got to the end of the road and I turned left and as I was driving up the West Road. I would normally have turned right to go to school, so I was driving a different way, and I thought, wow, I'm not, I'm not in that place in my life anymore. That was, this, that was just a year ago, but God has done so much for me um, in that time, and I'm free from all of that guilt and shame and all the subsequent distraction that I had put in my life to disguise that and all the eating problems and all the, um, the drivenness. You know, God's done a deep work in me, um, plus I wasn't teaching, and that's always quite nice. Um, <laughs> I was just going to Hutchinson's to buy some bananas. Um, and the relief of realizing that God had changed my situation and my life um, and my, my personal situation, my relationship with him, my relationships with those around me, my 
my actual working situation everything has changed for me in one in just one year and like the relief was incredible and I just found myself driving towards Hutchinson's and I just said thank you the whole time I just spent six minutes in the car going thank you God thank you God thank you thank you God thank you God thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you God that you have changed so much for me and I've never been so grateful to buy a banana in my whole life but it's true I also bought apples I was so jubilant um (laughs) I was really, I was just so blown away by how much God had changed and, um, and how he'd helped me deal with, it really, it was all around guilt, you know, how he'd helped me really face down guilt and shame over my past and my life and the freedom that he's brought to my life and the change that he's brought to my life. I couldn't do anything but just shout thank you in the car for um, 10, 10 minutes or whatever. Um, I didn't do it this morning to Ruth, but I was telling her the story. I felt like doing it again. I'm just so grateful that God has done so much for me. Right, thank you. So we're upstairs um, praying this morning, and uh, I felt God just remind me of two things which I think are very significant for this morning. Um, Owen reminded me um, of a verse yesterday by text. It says this, I am the Lord of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? I believe there's people here this morning who... Perhaps they've been in trouble for a long time, maybe trouble for a short time, and it's deep trouble. And God says, is anything too hard for me? The other word that came to me was just let go. A few years ago, somebody showed us a video, and it was a counseling video, and it just said, stop it. And I love those, those words, stop it. But I believe God's saying, just let go. And I, and I got this picture and I don't know if you're ever a kid and you, you um, went to the play park and there was always these bars that were too high for you and you'd run and you'd jump and you'd hold on to the bars and then you'd go, uh-oh, I can't get down from here again. And I, I just got this image of God reaching his hands out and putting his hands around us and just lowering us back down to the ground. So for some people, you need to be picked up out of a pit and put on ground. And for other people, you're hanging in the air and God just want to let you put you back down on your feet. Um, don't know how you want to finish. Do you want to? So I, I just feel like if you feel those words have touched you, what Karis has said has touched you, I just want to encourage everybody just to stand up. And if you feel like you want God to reach out and touch your life this morning, maybe you're down in the dumps and you want God to pick you up and give you a firm place to stand and put a song of joy into your life again. If you feel like you're hanging up in the air and you want your life to change, maybe this word's about despair and depression. God says over those things, is anything too hard for me? When Jesus said, it is finished, That wasn't half a job like we do sometimes and things need tidied up afterwards and finished off. It completely meant it is finished. So if you feel like you need to respond to that word, I want to encourage you to put your hand up in the air as an indication to say, God, I need you in my situation. And I want you to pray Actually, those words, God, I need you in my situation. Just pray that out.
God, we want to declare this morning that we need you in our situation. I want to pray for every life that needs something to change this morning. God, we want to say nothing is too hard for you. No situation so desperate, no person so far away from you that you cannot change them. God, we want to pray the blood of Jesus over our lives. We want to access every situation and say, God, will you change us so we can change our situations? We want to pray the power of the blood of Jesus. The power of the blood of Jesus changes right now as we reach out to you, God. Will you reach out to us? Oh, God, I believe you're changing situations now. Changing situations right now. In the name of Jesus, be free. Be free. Thinking, be changed right now in the name of Jesus. We have the strongholds and minds that you're bringing down right now in the name of Jesus. Instead of, I can't, I want you to just fill their minds with the words, I can. God, I pray their confidence would be just in you, would just be poured out on people's lives right now in the name of Jesus. An anointing to overcome. You are overcomers, says God this morning. But let go. Let go of things that you've cherished and held on to and believe. Some people have held on to hurts. And God says, let go of them right now. I've dealt with them. Let go. God, I pray that you would just fill the people of God with joy right now in the name of Jesus. Come down by your Spirit. Fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. Fill them with love. Oh, that's what you've destined people to live. Oh, God. God, Uh, saw a um, picture actually at the beginning of the meeting when the band were praying together. Saw this picture and we've just seen it again now. Um, believe God wants to speak to us uh, of a number two. And I just felt that uh, at the digit two. And I felt that word in my heart from uh, Exodus where God says, you, ha- you shall have no other gods before me. And really feel that God's, um, God might be nudging you right now just to say, hey, I'm second place in your life. And, you know, you can be set free from that today. You can be set free from the guilt of that you can be set free from knowing that actually someone else is before God in your life and he's really prompting you this morning to say hey you know give up that thing or let that thing become second to me I want to be first in your life so um if you feel that if you just feel a nudge of God in your heart that actually you know he he says he won't share his glory with another that's what God says you know so he wants to be first in your life and you know what the enemy will say to you is you've done this for too long and you know you've not honored God and now you can't go back from that you're stuck where you are but this morning the message is that you can receive healing you can be free from the guilt of that and God will forgive you and he'll allow you to uh, to put him first in your life so um just if the Holy Spirit's touching you you know don't turn away from that just respond to God right now I'm going to pray for you Lord I want to pray for all those here Lord where your Holy Spirit is touching their hearts and they know that you have been number two in their lives, Lord, that you have not been first in their lives. And Lord, you're after us this morning. Thank you, God. You don't give up on us. You've come this morning by your spirit 
to touch all those lives and hearts. And so, Father, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit would stir up hearts this morning. Father, I want to pray where people are feeling under the guilt and shame of I've allowed something else to be first in my life instead of Jesus. That, Lord, you'd forgive them this morning, Lord, as they turn their hearts to you and say, God, I want you to be first. Uh, even if this is you and you feel this, I want you to just put this on your lips right now. If you can do it quietly wherever you are or put it on the lips of your heart, just say, God, I want you to be first. God, I want you to be first. Jesus, I want you to be first. I'm sorry that someone else has been first or something else has been first. Jesus, I want you to be first. And as you do that, all that guilt and shame and negativity and all of that fear and dread is going to lift off your life and Jesus is going to come in and change it. Thank you, God. I was praying this morning and uh, I saw a picture of an African lady. Well, I saw the African lady's hand going into a box or a pouch or something. She was taking a tribal remedy or something like that for some kind of condition. And I think you know that that was wrong. Jesus doesn't condemn you, he forgives you. But he says to you today, he has healing for you. So whatever that was for, he's your healer today. I'd pray for you and anybody else who wants prayer for sickness after the meeting, I'm happy to pray. Thanks, Chris. So we've heard a number of kind of specific words about things, um, whether it's kind of one of those or whether you just have a sort of general sense of um, needing forgiveness. Um, I'd like us all to pray prayer together. Um, what I'd like to pray is, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that what I did was wrong in your eyes. Please forgive me and cleanse me of my guilt. I want to serve you and not my past. Amen. And so if you've uh, never given your life to God before and you realize you've become aware this morning of your guilt and your need to do that, or actually whether you've been a Christian for a number of years and yet something's nagging away at you or you recognize some of those ways of adapting to sin and guilt rather than dealing with it, can we um, pray this prayer together? So, Lord Jesus, I am sorry that I did what was wrong in your eyes. Please forgive me and cleanse me of my guilt. I want to serve you and not my past. Amen. Amen. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God forgives us, there is no guilt left. Okay? There's nothing the enemy may try and accuse you and say, oh, look at what you've done. But there's no guilt left because you've been forgiven by God. When God forgives, you are forgiven. Amen. Yeah. Let's give the Lord a real hand of praise. That's amazing. Thank you, Lord. So let me just say two things before I hand back to Ben and Karis. So if you've prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I'd like you to come and talk to me afterwards. And actually, if, if you feel like you, this morning you've done some serious business with God about stuff that's affected you from the past, you know what? You are forgiven. And I would encourage you to talk to your cell leader just to give testimony to that, but also so they can help you to untangle some of the effects of that beyond the, you know, the kind of um, needing that forgiveness from God.